0: This is the Cover 2 Podcast with Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Grady on the deep drop, stands in, fires down the middle for Gronkowski, makes the grab at the 45, Good spinning boy. away from defenders. He's gone to the 20, to the 10, to the 5, to the end zone. The Cover 2 Podcast on Patriots.com. The play fake and the throw to the end zone for Antonio Brown, touchdown Pittsburgh. Nobody covers the NFL like the guys from Cover 2. Eight different receivers have caught a pass. Matt Ryan today. He's looking to throw again. Wide open, Julio Jones, pass it, and in the end zone, touchdown Falcons.
1: Now, Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Cover Two podcast with Banks and Stevens. I'm Don Banks, joined by my co host, Nick Stevens. Nick, it's the Christmas show. We do it every year. Don, this is the first time. It
2: is most definitely the most wonderful time of the year, and might I say, as a grown adult male who loves non-family categories, two things very most in the world: football and Star Wars. Last weekend did not disappoint. Wow, I guess you had a big, big
1: old weekend for yourself.
2: Yeah. You know, I was told this is not going to go the way you think, and it didn't.
1: Was that a sound effect, Kevin, or was that actually Nick? Was that Nick making? Okay. Uh,
2: Don, I, I find your lack of faith in my preferences disturbing.
1: Uh, that's the way I like it. Um, <laughs> Yes, I did not see the movie. My sons both did, I'm sure. Uh, I know one of them saw it at midnight Thursday night. Uh, no shame. Micah. You've met Micah. My he's man. a Star Wars guy. Uh, my oldest son, Matt, I have not checked with, but I'm sure he's seen it three times already. Uh, but it was a great week for NFL football. You have to say we have some we have some talking points. I would... Um, I feel pretty comfortable. Yeah, there was a game yeah. uh, with
2: a team that calls where we record home base. Uh, yeah. I think there were some other good ones. There but, were, there uh, were. Is hot takey? Is it too hot takeish for me to say that that's now the game of the year?
1: We're going to get into that. I wanted to get your thoughts on that. I, I, I'm not going to disagree or agree right off the bat. I am going to tell everyone um, just in a very few minutes, maybe about ten minutes. We have a great guest this week, and I think it's an incredibly timely guest. Um, and I and I do try to uh, think of these things, but Jim Jim Deapolis, the former NFL game official of eleven years in the league, and then twelve years as the league's supervisor of officials, uh, is going to join us. He's now the rules analyst for ESPN and ESPN Monday Night Football. Uh, he's a great follow on Twitter if you don't already. He's at referee Jim D as in Diopolis. Jim Diopolis is going to join us in about 10 minutes. I I just felt like it was the week to talk to someone who has been an NFL uh, game official um, and get their take on a number of controversies that exploded in week 15. Not just the Jesse James catch, uh, not just the Carolina uh, touchdown that was ruled no catch and then a butt cheek touchdown, (laughs) Uh, I mean, we had Safario Jenkins
2: earlier with the pylon again, right. Jets Patriots as well, and the first
1: down call in Oakland, right? By a three by
2: five. That's always why I keep a three by five in my back pocket.
1: Yeah, I just I was glad he didn't pick his teeth with that Gene Steratore as soon as he made the ruling. You know, like because that might I, be in there. Well, he didn't have a ten dollar bill just to as hold a shame
2: free dad. We all know that that's what credit cards and keys are for. <laughs>
1: that was the. F- I I think I have seen it before. I, I don't I don't remember when I think I have seen the old slip of paper between the ball and the chain, but that was classic. So anyway, we have lots to talk about with Jim Diopolis, um in just a few minutes here. But let's dive into the you know the the, the Patriots Steelers and all things uh, coming out of that <laughs> unbelievable um, turn of events. First of all, where does it, you're, you're Joe Pats fan or mm-hmm. uh, Nick Pats fan, uh, where does it rank in terms of epic regular season games in the Brady-Belichick era?
2: I would say I'm not going to disagree with Tom Brady that that was maybe one of the most emotional. He said it was the most emotional regular season game of his career. Most emotional regular season game. In terms of all-time Patriots regular season games... I mean, it's an instant top ten. I tweeted out right I, before I the think game. It's top three. It's got to be top, top five. I, I all right, sold. Uh, okay, top. I'll we say just top negotiated. five. Top five. Okay, fine. Good, sold. I would say definitely top five Patriots regular season games. I tweeted out right before the game. Something tells me this is going to be an NFL Films instant classic. Yeah. And then I was happily
1: rewarded. Uh, by the way, who? My di- faith. Who do? You, oh, your faith, huh? Who did you pick again? Who did you pick again? The, the Patriots. Yeah, and who did I pick? Patriots. Yeah. Right. And listen, look, Thank look you. Look at the way everything. You can step down. No further questions. But yeah. At... Anyway. Uh, um, everything was the just the
2: last five minutes. That the game went like this. Pittsburgh seemingly has it in hand. Somehow they find a way to mismanage the clock in some, possession. Somehow. They Steelers it up because they're staring down the goat on the other side. They give it to him with 231. Worst case scenario. Yep. And then Brady doesn't throw the the finality ball, but it gets tipped in the direction of a Steeler, who drops the almost interception. And Romo says that's the worst thing that could have happened to this guy because Brady will make them pay. Yeah. And then Pittsburgh does an amazing security
1: th- blanket. In other words, yeah, I said that. There's Pittsburgh Tony. does this Thanks, amazing
2: Tony. thing. Thank you, Mr. Romo. Great calls in the game, by the way. Pittsburgh does this amazing thing where they decide uh, to employ single man coverage on um, the greatest tight end ever. Who proceeds to base?
1: I mean, I almost would argue it was half man coverage. Right. Well, uh, I mean,
2: a, a five foot nine a, man on Gronk is right. actually like a
1: half man coverage. Not, not a full man coverage. Uh,
2: why? I, I can't even. Why? Why? Unfathomable. Pittsburgh didn't say we're going to make Kenny Britt or Brandon Cooks beat us. Is beyond me. And then Brady scores in fifty six seconds left, and now you're going to win. But then Jordan Richards, who. I, I believe I I would if I were Belichick the the king of the the ice king stare I would have given him that says yeah coach I'll walk home I mean he should have walked home from Pittsburgh for whiffing on Schuster
1: I'm guessing on that 69 yard uh, first down pass to Juju Smith Schuster that you were not repeating his name uh, incessantly oh, as he
2: there were four and seven letter words <laughs> flying around the basement of my in laws house that'll tell you otherwise
1: I I had a feeling you we well, took just out McCordy too don't... Juju Juju. <laughs>
2: You, you were probably. I saw. I saw the play develop, and I was like, "That's trouble. That's going to get them two passes away from field goal range." Right. S word. This is not good. And then Richards not only whiffs on Juju Smith-Schuster, but he takes out McCourty in the process, which is a two, which is a two for one sale. Yep. At the terrible football place. If you're
1: if you're bowling, that's like getting the pin action.
2: And then you're resigned to overtime, and then touchdown because of course. Right. With 56 seconds, but it's not because no one knows what a catch is. And then Roethlisberger thinks he's going to pull some sneaky situational football old Jedi BS by Belichick. Boy. They have it defended perfectly. Eric Rowe saves the day. Harmon with the pick. And it is a miserable
1: week in Yinsburg. Yeah. Um, oh, what a game. There's so much there. I mean, we could we could have done a whole show on just the last two minutes of that game, obviously. Um but in no particular order, Ben so blew it on that final throw. I mean, that's just an absolute brain freeze. He got caught between two two different thoughts. Two looks, yeah. And did not make the sane decision by throwing into triple coverage with a fourth guy somewhere in the area. It just blows you away. Um isn't that fade or throw it away right there? Yeah, like you can't. You, you can't put that anywhere near no. where you get tipped. No, I mean especially after watching the Seattle New England Super Bowl ending of three years ago. Pete Carroll in Mike Tomlin's headset. You, can Mike, cannot. I have a great idea for. A hey, pass. let's throw a slant near the goal line. What could go wrong? New England's never seen that. <laughs> what could go wrong? Um, I I almost don't want to get into the Jesse James catch non catch because. Jim Diapolis is going to call in three minutes, we hope, uh, or we're going to call him. And so we're going to get into it because I don't even know how he feels about it. I have not seen his his take on how that, that call was overturned. Um, but there's so much there. I, I had a little uh, tweet storm myself Sunday night. Not not about anything other than I hate that rule. I hate that inc- incredibly complicated catch rule. And there's just so much there to chew on. But I I, I want to hear his uh, experienced, informed take on what that rule has become and, and how he saw that call the other night.
2: I think, Don, the biggest takeaway from a 1,000-foot bird's-eye perspective on the NFL, football in general, is every Steelers fan's worst fears were confirmed in the last few minutes of that game. Validated. Because they— they can win without Antonio Brown. They had the reigning champs and supposed, well, I think still, best team in the AFC, maybe best team in the NFL, on the ropes at home for home field throughout the playoffs. Outplayed and them. All, and outplayed them, too. They did. I hate to say it. They outplayed them. They certainly did. They had them where, exactly where they wanted them, maybe with a little bit of luck. And all they needed to do was prove that Mike Tomlin was more than – a bro and a motivator. He's, I call him like, he's not a coach. I call him like a broach. He's a brotivator because he's like their buddy and also partly a coach. And all they had to do was prove that their football acumen was on par with the Patriots, but they couldn't because it's not in the
1: Patriots. Situational and, football like, 101. I have never seen it come into play like it came into play in, at the end of that game. I'll say this my favorite moment that no one talks about, no one, is when Harmon makes the he goes on one knee immediately, and that is it. How many times have we seen defenders? It doesn't matter that the game was over. It doesn't matter that there was no reward and only risk. We have seen defenders because they want to make they want to make ESPN highlight reel. They take off. Harmon caught that ball and immediately went down. That. Is situational football, and we're going to talk about it with Derek Carr later with with that brain cramp of a move. But situational football doesn't say – I had people on Twitter say, well, you can't fault anybody forever for trying to score. You can never fault – yes, you can. You can fault players for not knowing the rules, and the rules in this case, as badly as they are written – is that you better secure that catch before all, all else. And if you s- secure the catch, then the gravy on top could be reach for the goal line. But if reaching for the goal line causes you then to give a replay official a chance to take away the catch because it came in contact with the ground and you didn't successfully go to the ground, then you've really screwed your team by not knowing the rules.
2: What's every coach tell his ball carriers? Both hands on the ball. Right? Protect the ball at all costs. Now, yesterday I saw people saying on Twitter, well, if Belichick has this unwritten rule that if you try to extend for the goal line or take a hand off the ball and make a play, that you'll be immediately benched. Last time I saw a Patriots player reach for the goal line was a couple years ago, Julian Edelman in Buffalo went leaping for the goal line, crashed into the pylon, got the touchdown. Both hands firmly placed around the ball. For somebody like Derek Carr to do that, was just um, beyond inexcusable. It, 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 I know you're you already have to a first a play, down at the three yard line. Coaching
1: needs to coaching yeah. needs to step in before instinct. That's your twenty five million dollar quarterback too. All right, we are joined now by Jim Diopoulos, a former NFL game official for eleven years and twelve years, the league supervisor of officials. He's now a rules analyst for ESPN and ESPN Monday Night Football, and a great. Follow on Twitter, I might add, at Referee Jim D. Jim, I've admired your work for a long time uh, in the media and on the field, and appreciate it that you're on the Cover 2 podcast with Banks and Stevens. You're talking to Don Banks, and we are coming to you from Gillette Stadium Studio. Good morning, and happy holidays to you.
0: Good morning, Don, and happy holidays to you. Thank you for having me on.
1: Well, Jim, I don't want to waste any time because Week 15 was so full of – interesting, uh, controversial talking points when it comes to officiating. And your, mind, your, your name came to my mind Monday morning. I was like, this is the week um, I've got to try to get Jim on the podcast because there is just uh, a crying need for some experience um, and some eyes that have seen a little bit of what, has tra- what transpired in Week 15 and give us some perspective. We have to start um, – we are, we are on Patriots.com, so we have to start with the ending of that Steelers-Patriots game. I have to admit, I don't know your take on the overturned Jesse James touchdown catch, uh, non-catch at this point. But I want to find out on our podcast, when you saw the catch live, as honest as you can be, when you saw it live, do you think touchdown? Did you think there's going to be trouble on that replay review?
0: Don, to be quite honest, I thought there was going to be a question because anytime a player is going to the ground to uh, secure the possession of the football, there's always a question in an official's mind. Uh, I thought the officials handled it exactly the way they needed to handle it on the field. Uh, you know the eye test you know made them think that this ball was, was a completed catch. But as I said, time that player goes to the ground to complete the catch, we really need to take a closer look at it because it's made the rule pretty simple and pretty clear. They've said, if you're going to the ground, hold on to the football. And and basically, once you look at that play, and and one of the problems that we have now in the National Football League is, is with a high definition of instant replay. And, and you're going to micromanage this game. You're going to micromanage these catches. And when you look at this play, as Jesse James is going to the ground, he loses possession of the football right away. I don't care that he had a knee down or he was stretching for the end zone. He's going to the ground as he's stretching. As he goes to the ground and he stretches for the for the end zone, the ball comes loose and it contacts the ground. Easy call for the officials uh, in the replay booth. And basically, by rule, it's the exact correct call.
1: I want to ask, you, you mentioned the eye test. Um, obviously, if you were listening... To CBS broadcast, Tony Robo, Jim Nance, for the longest time, and I'm not faulting them and I'm not trying to absolve them. For the longest time, they were like, oh, this is easy. This is a touchdown. The fact that the eye test is still, you know, what fans, the media, the game announcers, the vast majority of us are, are using in this case, is the eye test, <laughs> which we grew up knowing what a what a touchdown, what a catch looked like with the eye test. Is there a problem in that it's now can be so dramatically different when you get that high-definition replay that the league has a problem in just that even if – I believe they called that completely correctly by the rule book. I, I hate the I hate the catch rule the way it is currently constructed because I believe it's so – there's such a divergence from the eye test. It, do you still see a problem in that the eye test and what we see – and what ends up being the call can be so dramatically different.
0: You know, Don, in the office when we worked up in the New York, uh, you know, we used to talk about it—not the ICES. Our, our perception was the fifty drunks in the bar. Right. What did they think it was? Because they're usually pretty correct on, on the call. But you know, in, in all actuality, you know, we've looked at this for a number of years, oh, going back all the way to Calvin Johnson's uh, catch. Uh, through Des Bryant's situation, uh, you, you look at all these catches and, and what you're trying to do is get consistency. And what the league has tried to do is make it simple, make it very easy to to, to officiate. Uh, you know, without saying, if, if the rule didn't say going to the ground and holding on to the football, then you start to put too many variables into it. And then you start looking for different things. You know, so basically... They've tried to say to the players, hold on to the football. You know, that's the bottom line. If you're going to be a professional football player, you're going to be a receiver. Catch the ball, hold on to it, and don't lose control of the ball as you go into the ground. They've tried to make it simple. They've tried to make it easy. And it still seems to be, uh, you know, it still gets confusing confusing to uh, individuals as they as they watch the game.
2: Jim, this is Nick Stevens, Don's co-host. I wanted to ask you about uh, replay and what you think it has done for the game. Do you think that replay, you said earlier, used the phrase micromanage, and I think now that replay, we go frame by frame to milliseconds of play, you really couldn't see Jesse James with the naked eye at first glance drop the ball, but upon replay slowing it down we were able to see he definitely clearly lost possession, and it was unquestionably not a catch according to the rules. Do you think replay has done more good than harm for the game? And if we're using replay this much, do you think we should go further with technology so that we have, as Belichick has suggested, cameras on pylons? And should we have uh, more scientific ways of judging what is or is not a first down than maybe uh, an index card pulled out of the referee's back pocket?
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's a great question. And, you know, I've had the opportunity to work in the National Football League before replay was involved and after replay was uh, included in the uh, officiating uh, mechanics. Um, I think replay is a tremendous uh, officiating tool. It helps correct correctable errors. Uh, It does pretty much what they expect it to do. My concern right now is they're trying to make it do more than it necessarily has to do. I believe New York feels that this game can be officiated uh, kind of like a video game up in New York, and, and that's just, just wrong. I think you, you hire officials, you put the best officials out there to make the calls. Are they going to make mistakes? Absolutely, they make mistakes. Players make mistakes, coaches make mistakes we put so much emphasis in the National Football League for uh, 100% perfection. We don't demand this of baseball. We don't demand it of basketball or hockey. But we demand it of the National Football League and the officials of the National Football League. And and it's just the nature of the game. So we put so much pressure on the officials that the league is trying to do something to to make this game perfect. And it's just not a perfect game. I, I really like instant replay. I like what the uh, the college game does with it, where they're looking at more plays. I agree with Bill that if you're going to have it, use it. You know, why would you use it on certain plays and not use it on other plays? I- I've been an advocate of using it uh, for hits on defenseless players, but again, the the league is uh, trying to limit their use of it. So, you know, kind of a long answer to your question. I, I like replay. Uh, I'm just afraid of where it's going right now.
1: Jim, you know, and I agree, I think replay uh, clearly is not going anywhere. So um, the issue for a lot of people even isn't how the rule is written on the catch is that the replay review process and the judgments, and there are some subjective judgments to be made on possession that they've not been consistent. And I'm not asking you to take on perhaps a former colleague in Alberto Riveron, but he's made calls this year in New York on replay review that his predecessors Dean Blandino, Mike Re- Mike Pereira, Pier- Pereira did not support and agree with. I just wondered your take on whether there is an issue in terms of the replay review process and the judgments coming from that. It seems like the dictum that unless it's you know. Obvious and clearly a wrong-blown call, we should go with the call on the field, has been lost somewhat.
0: Another great point, and you use two words that are so uh, important in replay, clear and obvious. And, you know, uh, Al's got a very difficult job up there. I'm still confused as to why they moved the replay up to uh, New York. Uh, I've always been of the opinion that if you've got officials on the field making the calls and replay officials in the booth making the calls, if you don't have the confidence in them, why even have them out there? Why bring it all the way to New York? And, 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 and they save for consistency. But again, they make mistakes. It's just the nature of the beast. Mistakes are being made. Uh, you know, and, and it is tough. It's, you try to support the officials as much as you can. Uh, you you want to make sure it's a clear and obvious mistake on the field to reverse it, and, and sometimes you get a good look at it. Sometimes you get a okay look at it. Now, are you going to go with the perfect look, or you uh, are you going to go with an okay look and wait for that perfect shot? You know, and and then you have the time restraints. It, it's a it's a very difficult mechanic. Uh, I have worked in replay. I can tell you it's a very, very difficult uh, form of officiating to be working in a replay booth uh, because there is so much pressure on you to try to make uh, split-second decisions. But again, uh, I think they do a a pretty good job. They're trying to get consistency. But unfortunately, there's a little bit of inconsistency that goes on.
2: So, Jim, it seems like every time there's a contentious, controversial call like the Jesse James call – Sunday, and then, of course, the index card, a number of different plays where fans, maybe even league officials, a number of people involved in the day-to-day operations of the NFL have questions raised about the validity of the rule and if this should be reviewed. Do you think next year at this time are the, the definitions and parameters of what is a catch the same, or does this one go to... The league offices, or does this go to the coaches' meetings next year and get tweaked?
1: And more than just the language tweaking, do you think anything substantial will come out of this?
2: Is a catch the same next year? Yeah.
0: To to be really quite honest with you, I think they're really comfortable in the definition of a catch. I think they've looked at it for years. Uh, As I said, going all the way back, you know, maybe you know, five or ten years, they 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 discuss it all the time. Uh, But I think they're very comfortable with. The definition of a catch right now, as I've said earlier, I think they've tried to simplify it to make it uh, an easy call. Uh, you know, basically, here's what it is. Catch the ball. Hold on to the ball. Uh, I think if you start micromanaging that uh, aspect of it also – you're just going to throw a wrench into the whole situation, and then nobody will know. It's tough enough right now to determine what a what a catch is. I think all you'll do is if you try to change it around, if you make any adjustments to it, I think it's going to cause a bigger problem uh, to everyone, Uh from the players all the way through to the fans,
1: Jim. A couple of quick topics, and we'll let you go. Um, I do have to get your take on the Gene Steratore three by five measurement in Oakland. I understand his explanation that he was using it to kind of validate his what he saw. I maintain it was a pretty bad look for a league that you know kind of brags about being state of the art in so many ways and and what they. Their equipment, and yet here we are measuring a first down with the folded three by five. What was your uh, initial reaction when you saw that?
0: Well, well, first of all, Gene Steratore is a pretty good football official, but Gene really embarrassed himself, uh, you know, pulling that uh, mechanic off, you know, measuring the measuring the spot, and then using the the index cards. You know, I understand that the league has supported him. As they as well they should, because there is nothing in the rule book that states you cannot do this. However, over the years, the years that I spent in, in New York and on the field, it was always a uh, a discussion that you do not ever ever use any type of a uh, a prop to try to help you make a decision. You use the eye test, and, and he had it. You know, if he said that. He had the decision made. Why would you do that? Embarrass yourself. Embarrass the league. You know, upset uh, Coach Del Rio uh, and and, and well-deserved, you know, again, you don't come out with a uh, a smirk on your face, you know, in that type of situation. It was just very unprofessional. And, And it's a situation we all know that. Uh, forward progress is a non-exact science.
1: Exactly, the,
0: the, the runner goes into that line, and it's a mass of humanity. And the end men, the down judge, and the line judge have got to make a determination of how for, how far forward did that ball go, and without even seeing the ball, so it, it's a guesstimate uh, on their part. Uh, mechanically, I just felt the the crew didn't handle it very well. It was so close that the, whoever made that decision has got to make a decision very quickly. It's a first down or it's not a first down. Not where I'm going to put the ball. You've got to put that ball clearly forward of the line or clearly behind the line. Don't ever put it right the tip to the tip because all it's going to do is cause problems. So mechanically, I just didn't feel they they handled the play very well.
2: Jim, if there's anybody we'd like to hear from in terms of rules you'd like to see installed or changed, it would be you, so... That's my question. Are there any current rules or is there a lack of rules that you would like to see changed or initiated? For me, I'd like to see targeting the way that it's used in college football brought to the NFL because I'm advocating for greater player safety, we'll say.
0: Great point. That's I have been an advocate of that for years and years. You know, you put the, the referee in a position who's probably 10 or 15 yards behind the, the line or 15 or 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage behind the right shoulder of the quarterback. Now he's got to make a determination. If that defensive right end is coming in, if he hits the quarterback, does he hit him with his mask? Does he hit him with the the crown of his helmet? Does he hit him in the chest? Does he hit him in the chin or in the helmet? And he's got to make a split-second decision from from an angle that's almost impossible. Why not use the technology that you have, as they do in college, and and, and start – penalizing these guys because you've got to protect these these defenseless players. And I think college does a great job uh, with their targeting rule, the way they're able to review it, the way they're able to uh, initiate a, uh, a targeting call you know, from the stands or from the replay booth. So I, I would love to see that. I mean, again, the league has the technology. Why not utilize it instead of uh, having the uh, referee have to guess at some of these calls because it is a very difficult call for the referee at that angle that he's, he's got to look and, and see if the quarterback is being uh, hit or targeted.
1: Last thing, Jim, and do, you can answer these in 10 seconds or less. Do you think eventually the league gets to the point where that that rule, that if you fumble a ball through or out the side of the end zone, changes possession to the defense, do you think eventually we we change that to a more common-sense approach? And two – the butt-cheek call on, touch, on that touchdown by the Carolina receiver uh, surprised a lot of people. Was that a touchdown?
0: Well, in, in, uh, in relation to the first question, I don't think that rule is going to change. I think it's it's, pretty, uh, it's been there for a while. It's been discussed. They talk about it every year. So I don't think that's going to change. Uh, I, I, I really felt that uh, they were wrong on the butt-cheek rule. But, uh, again, you know, it, it's such a difficult situation. Uh, uh, mechanic that I think what what has to happen is, you know, you've just got to do a better job and be consistent in your calls. It, you know, again, they miss it up there. People have got to understand, the you know, they make mistakes. They make mistakes on the field, and they make mistakes in replay, and you just got to live with it.
1: Jim Diapolis, a former NFL game official and the league supervisor, supervisor of officials for 12 years now, a rules analyst for ESPN, ESPN Monday Night Football. Thank you so much for the time. It was a great week to have you on, Jim. So much to dive into. If you don't follow him, follow him on Twitter at, at @referee_jimd. Jim, thanks and have a great Christmas.
0: My pleasure, guys. Happy holidays.
2: All the best. Thanks, Jim. I I feel like I just I just went to ref school.
1: Yeah, and and I think, you know, great perspective. Look, he, he clearly he agrees that the Jesse James call was the right call. I, I do too, it was the right call. I, I still have all kinds of problems with that rule. I think even even more so coming out of that because the eyeball test I think should matter. It should not be that ninety seven percent of us watched that and thought touchdown and it was ninety seconds later before we thought, Oh, wait a minute. I just I gotta have that gap closed for my for my taste.
2: Okay, Patriots fan says, "I'll tell you, I still think the Tuck rule was a fumble. I saw the Jesse James replay. You, the second I saw it,
1: the not replay, a catch.
2: not a catch. The second I saw the replay, yeah, yeah, okay. The Second I, I saw the replay, not a catch. But <laughs> because I, at, as we've now come to understand the rule by its definition and parameters established now, plus we've got precedent as I with saw, other catches that were actually." I think less controversial or or less questionable.
1: Right. I as I saw the replays maybe maybe not the first replay but as I saw the multiple replays I'm like yep they got they got it right by the by the way the rule is written. Um, I just believe that <laughs> there's this great clip that someone put on yesterday uh Matt Mayoka who covers the 49ers um, for um, Comcast Bay Area of the Butch Johnson touchdown catch in uh, Super Bowl 12 Denver and Dallas which he had it for a millisecond over the line of, uh, over the plane of the goal and then and then dropped it and then there's the official raising his arms that today that wouldn't even have been ruled a catch Mm-mm. let alone a touchdown catch in the Super Bowl but I just think the gap is still too huge in what we see live and then replay shows us I think that's that's not That's not a good thing for the league to have Tony Dungy, to have Mike Tomlin, everyone still saying, I really don't know what a catch is. I really don't, you know, I I really don't see a catch and have confidence in it until I see multiple replays.
2: Okay, so what is it going to take for all of us to have unilaterally an understanding of what is and isn't a catch? Do we have to, like—
1: I I would take the ground out of it, but, I mean, the ground was never involved until the Bert Emanuel catch in 99, but I know that's probably wishful thinking. Um, but because, to be, to be honest, there's still so much interpretation into, you know, loss of possession. Uh, one man's loss of possession is not necessarily another— another time he gets called that he didn't lose possession. He had his hands semi-underneath it. It's just really—it's— There's a lot of wiggle room in there uh, for the replay official to back up his call with whatever, you know, whatever he can say he saw this and put it out there like it's ironclad, and then and forty-seven percent will say I saw something completely different.
2: Yeah, it's the it's that wiggle room. It's the ability to interpret, I guess, that still adds a little humanity to the game, but that also is going to continue to create controversy. Well, I think
1: one of the problems the league has, and and, and they're not going to say it because it's going to be undercutting their man, but Alberto Riveron has not had a good year in the New York replay review booth. He just hasn't. Um, I don't know how many times his two predecessors, Mike Pereira and Blandino, have totally gone 180 degrees that he blew the call
2: and could you tell me don real quick or and for the audience was did dean blandino resign or was he replaced
1: no he resigned to he go re- into television right. somewhat okay. surprisingly mm-hmm. uh rather late in the off season, and that kind of left the league was very comfortable with blandino not only in explaining his decisions but in making those replay calls because they thought he was very consistent in how he applied the rules Riveron has not had a very consistent year. Um, You know, we can go all the way back to the um Austin Severian Jenkins <laughs> touchdown call, Pat's Jets. There's been a number of times where you just went, huh? And the league basically is going to back him up, but he hasn't had a good first year. I'm not, I'm not making this as a direct comparison, but you remember how CBS stood behind Mike Carey as their rules analyst on air until Ooh. they didn't, until it was too obvious that yeah. that dog won't hunt. I, I feel like at some point that's where we're headed with Alberto River on that dog won't hunt. You can't prop him up, uh, and say he's doing a great job. Like, uh, you know, um, you're doing a hell of a job, Brownie.
2: Now. To go full circle from whence we came earlier, kind of put a button on everything we've spoken about now before we preview Week 16, remember back at the Safarian-Jenkins play, you were paying due deference to Deron Harmon for making the interception and taking a knee and ball game.
1: Situational football.
2: When the Safarian-Jenkins play happened, what did the two Patriots players tackling him and bringing him to the ground at the front pylon do? turn to the referee, and, pointed, and let yeah. him know yeah, they, as if they'd practiced that and if there was any indiscretion whatsoever, if there's any question about the play. They knew the rule better than not only the Jets, but it seemed the referees the But the, the time. refs
1: ruled it a touchdown, and then it got overruled on right. replay.
2: When New York right. had a chance to take so a So in
1: essence, they didn't sell the refs. They might have sold the replay review.
2: Referee review knowledge in situational football.
1: Yeah. I mean, so to go back to the Derek Carr I do think that is the worst rule in football, that possession changes. If it goes out at the one-inch line, offense keeps the ball. But if it breaks the plane of the goal and goes out the side of the back, change of possession, even though maybe the defense did nothing to deserve that uh, gift of a of a turnover. Do
2: you think the offense should get it back at the twenty or the twenty five? I mean, yeah, I mean maybe not? penalize them why and not? put them back at twenty five. Penalize the
1: 25. them, penalize them, but don't you know? Don't give them that spot of the fumble. Penalize them, but don't make them lose possession because the defense did nothing to deserve possession in that case. But going back to it, what a I mean, what an example. We already had the Jesse James uh, example, and my problem with him was. If that's the way the rule is going to be called, you have to know, as a player, nothing supersedes you making that catch and it being ruled a catch. So you have to take care of the football first. That's priority number one. And then, and only then, if you're absolutely certain what you've done is going to constitute a catch, then go ahead and try to get the ball into the end zone. But what Carr did, without really a prayer, is so mind-bogglingly stupid he, risked, he threw that whole game away for his team when he had a first down at the three-yard line. Um, again, there are some teams that teach situational football and other teams that don't. And the people who say you can't hold a player accountable for trying to score a touchdown are completely and utterly wrong in my book.
2: Makes me think that uh, the sort of uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail bring out your dead cart. I'm not dead. For a coach. I'm not dead yet. So oh, that's you're Jack de- Del Rio. Oh, you're nearly dead. You're nearly dead. You're dead now. Uh, I'm feeling th- quite better. <laughs> I think that cart uh, may be growing after this past week, this past couple <laughs> weeks. I if might it, might be like I think. I'll let's do a poor- whole
1: show in Monty Python voice. I'm fine with that. One week. That would be fun. Uh, I, I tell you, you know who had no idea what was going on during the
2: uh, the initial part of the James review was your your buddy Tony Romo. No, I had and no Ants freaking didn't either. clue. No, and, I thought that was appalling.
1: And. And it went on a long. It went on two
2: minutes. Someone's going to tell him in his ear. Somebody finally
1: did. Somebody finally did. But that
2: was I. That's what stood out to
1: me from the coverage of the game. Right. No, it was not their finest moment. Wait, are
2: you telling me that Tony Romo proved himself human in the booth? Impossible. Because I thought he was having the Impossible. perfect season.
1: He, he's ninety nine point eight. All I could
2: now. think of listening to him was.
1: And
0: here he is. Having the time of his life.
2: I think he and Sergio should grab beers at the Super he Bowl. Was I think not that'd having be a nice the time. time. They of might want they may just want to do that.
1: Not having the time of his life at Boy. that moment. But.
2: but every but everything else though about that game, when Matt Hasselbeck's telling us last week ESPN's gonna be doing the countdown before that, all the hype, all the clicks, everything pointed towards that game. And uh you know, Seattle and Houston, thanks for giving us a great game earlier this year. Russell Wilson versus Deshaun Watson in the Pacific Northwest. A couple other real barn burners and great rewatches, but uh, that was the 2017 Probably season. Probably
1: was. For what was on the line, yeah. you know, number, oh. number one seed yeah, I think it would have to be. Two heavyweights, um, two Super Bowl multiple-ring quarterbacks. Um, another big game out west, though, although it turned into a dog, was, was that Rams-Seahawks. Now... Indictment of the Seattle injuries
2: or Rams asserting themselves. I think both. I think yeah. both.
1: I mean, again, it was a changing the guard moment. A torch is passed. But what I said at the beginning of the season was, I thought this was Seattle's last best shot um, to to get another ring. Their window was clearly closing. Um, they didn't they didn't really get it done because injuries wiped out that defense. But it's not a total rebuild or reboot to me because Russell Wilson's still there. But clearly that defense has aged and they're gonna to have to start supplementing that defense. So to me, the team that we knew as Pete Carroll Seahawks from twelve to this year, that team's over. That that window closed. The Rams are clearly the ascending power. Um but I just didn't expect what, forty two to seven? Forty two yeah. to seven.
2: I think the I think the use of words Pete Carroll may have to start supplementing that defense may have been a little questionable.
1: Okay. He's sixty six, it happens. It happens.
2: Um, the uh, the the time of the Legion of Boot. hey, if Richard Sherman, yeah, and Camp Chancellor. Camp Chancellor and Earl and Irvin Thomas were all healthy and on the field, then I think that defense would still be as formidable. KJ yeah. Wright, Cliff Averill, Bobby Wade, Averill, I'm sorry, that's who. And I was Michael Bennett, it. Bruce Irvin used to. You know, was there. Oakland. He went to Oakland. Yep. But I'm they're not trying to they're, hurt. they're older. There's a greater chance of getting hurt, so they're going to have to. Add some youth, and the, that defense will drastically change.
1: The other story I think um, was unavoidable. Obviously, it broke Friday night. It got more intense Sunday morning with a story that Sports Illustrated, my former employee, broke, um, kind of detailing the mess in Carolina involving longtime owner Jerry Richardson, 81 years old, uh, accused of workplace misconduct. I love that that's that's as vanilla as you can go. workplace misconduct that takes that's a huge umbrella to, to throw up. Um, in reality th- reportedly for at least four settlements for either sexual harassment in the office uh, or um, what I guess racial harassment in one case. So what a, what an in giant embarrassment for the NFL uh, is brewing there. Because Jerry Richardson, basically in an admission that their story was right, has already said he's going to sell the team. So it's not that far from Donald Sterling being the league saying, you're going to do the right thing, Jerry, uh, and not go through this and drag the league through it.
2: The potential ownership group, though, is
1: kind of dynamite. Oh, that's so, just garbage. Come on. It's not happening. Da- Ste- Steph Curry. It's not Kaepernick. happening. Yeah, I'm due back on planet Earth now. I <laughs> They're not making Diddy. Diddy an owner. He's got
2: money though, Don.
1: and you think they're going to let Colin Kaepernick be a co-owner? No, but yeah. I do, do I think that did, they would let Diddy? I mean, he can put
2: five hundred million dollars down.
1: Wake up and smell the herbal tea. It's not oh, happening. But do we need just
2: another member? Of the what, old guard. What do you think? The good old boys club. Of course when when Jerry, gonna... when
1: Jerry Jones stands up and says he's a great man, right off the bat. Here's my question, Nick. Where in in all of these stories, obviously that have broke in the last 2 months in terms of se- sexual harassment one has always spawned multiple other headlines everyone in the nfl has to be braced for where are the other potential headlines now carolina was first are there no other organizations where there potentially have been settlements kept quiet um, that could come out i just wonder there could be dozens at this point i just wonder where the league is is next going to take a hit in terms of this particular um, movement I guess and 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 the headlines that have followed uh, because Jerry Richardson um, boy, if you'd have given me a list of five potential places this could have happened, I honestly wouldn't have Jerry Richardson on the list. There are other places I could guess but it's interesting if where if there are other shoes out there to drop on this front, the league could have a real problem, especially when you combine it with the se- sexual harassment that reportedly went on at NFL Network.
2: Uh, yeah, right. The network's having issues. Now a team, and a, a prominent owner is going to have to sell because of workplace misconduct. A weird week for Carolina, too. Controversial call in the end zone. Right. C- Cam's had his issues all week. Now the owner is ha- has has to sell. And but a huge this win. Is a te- and a huge win. And they're going to the playoffs. Cam Newton caught on tape saying, "Watch this." Kind of bragging to somebody. That was and then, funny, though. It is kind of, No, and Clay it, Matthews'
1: moment. It is kind of funny. He said, "Oh, you watching film? Yeah. Okay, watch this." <laughs> and then, and then, boom! They yeah. they do a fake wheel route instead yeah. of the wheel route. Right. That was actually kind of priceless. That was kind of NFL. It was pretty slick, but yeah, it's a it was a it was a uh, it was a, a juxtaposition week in Carolina with all that going on. The team continuing to prosper, and don't forget, a new owner means. The GM and the coach now their 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 jobs are up in the air. If there's a new owner, there could be a new coach, a new GM.
2: Okay, so looking towards week sixteen, Don, who do you see grabbing their share of the postseason pie? And who do you see, shall we say, uh, Derek carring the ball on the pylon?
1: <laughs> well, let's let's recap. I, okay. I see seven teams seventeen teams still in legit contention. Wow. I am not counting the six and eight Raiders. Or the six and eight Dolphins, sorry, um, but I see a five spots clinched, seven spots still to be clinched, and no one, by the way, has clinched a seed, a playoff seed yet. So I am. Look, I think teams like the Rams um, certainly the games the games that really matter to me are Atlanta New Orleans because again the NFC South is the epicenter of intrigue and drama I and wish wrestling. that was on Saturday night I do too oh,
2: I wish they I wish they could halt ho- like have a holiday you know Sunday night football gets their Flex I wish we could holiday Flex and we could take. Vikings Packers out of Saturday night and put Falcons Saints there because that would be everybody would be home wrapping drinking Nog watching that game. And
1: we just saw these teams play two weeks ago to well, the wire, yeah, on Monday night football, correct? Thursday night football, Thursday night football. Um, so th- to me, this is now must win time for the Saints. They've really had the upper hand in this division for weeks and weeks, but they can't allow Atlanta to sweep them. They swept Carolina, the Saints did, they can't let Atlanta sweep them. Or otherwise, Carolina's in great position to win this division. And Atlanta, I believe, would be – I think they can clinch with a win. So this is a huge week for New Orleans. Uh, Atlanta's not dead if they lose this game, but that means they've got to beat Carolina in the last week of the season. And that's um, not an easy call either. The other good game, I think, is Rams at Tennessee. The Titans, I'm sorry, I would not be shocked if they completely collapse and get to 8-8 eight and eight and out of the playoffs. Uh, from 8-4, and four, just a few weeks ago, they're just not a good football team. They don't beat the teams like they were supposed to beat the teams we're, gonna, we're supposed to beat. And they just have nothing going offensively to the point where even one of the receivers has now called their offense predictable and says we should let Mariota just run the offense from the line of scrimmage. They should
2: just let him go, put him in a two-minute read option offense. I've read social media, Don, where uh, Titans fans have said we suck. Yeah, this team is not fun to watch, and we don't think it's going Staggering. anywhere. And the season is the season is a loss. Look, they went out to San Francisco. And I, I, I don't think that we should sleep on an obvious another obvious storyline. The ascendance of... Jimmy G. Oh,
1: Jimmy. They may never lose again. forty-five and 0 He's never lost as a starter. They may never lose again. Unbelievable. Well, you know, it's not a great slate this week. I'll give you that. But I, I do think that Jacksonville-San Francisco game, because, you know, they just knocked off Tennessee at home. And if they knocked off Jacksonville, um, then, you know that's a team that everybody's going to jump on for the playoffs for next year the 49ers.
2: Oh boy, Patriots and Steelers have to both win out to keep their first and second slots in the AFC. It could be the Cowboys, it could even still be the Lions in the yep. NFC yep. and you've got of course Chargers, Falcons, Saints jockeying as well. The Seahawks aren't dead yet but I'm not giving them much of a chance.
1: All right, so but, but let's put Baltimore in the playoffs. We know they they've got two they've got two easy games. They've got Colts and Browns? No, if you Colts. Can't, if
2: you can't beat the Colts this week, you don't belong. But I do think they will. The
1: Ravens are going to the—but let me ask you this. Who's the last AFC playoff team? Is it 8-6 and six Buffalo or 8-6 and six Tennessee? That's tough tough to call. get it? Someone is going to have to get it. I checked with the league, and, and there has to be six They
2: can't—what can't, what if this year we had seven NFC teams nope, and five AFC? I, I got a ruling
1: from the league office. It's yeah. got to be 6-6. Six and six. I actually think Tennessee is going to lose this week— Um Against the Rams at home, but then they have they have Jacksonville the next week, right? Potentially, but maybe that doesn't for, mean as much for right. Jacksonville. Maybe, maybe I don't know. I mean, let's say if the it could the Steelers and the um, and the Pats both lock up the one and the two this week. If they if can, Jacksonville
2: loses. In San Francisco, and the Patriots and the Steelers right, both then win, over. then one and two is locked up, and then it'll be a matter of Week 17 with the Patriots hosting the Jets.
1: So the Jacks may not have a lot to play for. Steelers
2: hosting the Browns, but so,
1: that—that's what's intriguing to me. I mean, let's let's not sleep on this. Bills long playoff drought could end. I think. Oh, next I think it's week.
2: going to be the. I think it's going to be the Bills.
1: You think they beat the Dolphins in Miami next yep, week?
2: I got the Bills. Is that it? I got. I'll go Bills. Ravens. Cause okay. the, the char- I'll go Bills-Ravens, too. Cause the Chargers I think the Titans- just lost Hunter Henry. Oh,
1: the Chargers are done. They had, one, they had one game to prove that all their work was leading to this, and they choked. Disaster. As I've said before, I'll say it again, Philip Rivers in a big game setting, just good enough to get you beat. Turns into Steve DeBerg every time i i'm I, i'm almost glad to see it because they they turned back into the chargers but anyway a lot of uh, a lot of angst in philadelphia over nick Foles. he was fine the defense is now a mess that's that's kind of ironic because that was that was their bread and butter all year long but they get shelled by the giants and then wake up and win the game but
2: hey they still though win this weekend and they lock up Yep. home field throughout, and yep. that's exactly that's the rest and the time off you need to write the defense and make sure Foles is up to postseason And they're speed. home
1: next week, too, so if they somehow don't get it done this week, they'll get it done next week. And that puts them home for basically a month. Two home games in, the regular season, the week off, and then the divisional round game. The
2: Raiders home Christmas night, 830? Yeah, they got that.
1: The last thing, and I, I, I want to say this, it's not a huge game for both teams, but Miami and Kansas City, the schedule makers got this one right. One day shy... One day shy of 46 years after their classic Christmas Day game in 1971, a young Don Banks trying to eat Christmas dinner with his family, but his head turned the entire time towards the small black-and-white television. I'm not making that part up. Double overtime, Dolphins win. I was a huge Dolphins fan, uh, eight eight years old, I think. A Longest game in NFL history, 27-24. Gary premiums thirty-seven-yard field goal, and by the way, the last game for the Chiefs ever in municipal stadium in Kansas City before they moved into Arrowhead, and they are playing almost forty-six years to the day. They're playing Christmas Eve. That was a Christmas Day playoff game.
2: Every now and again, the NFL gets it right.
1: Young Nick was not around. No,
2: I wasn't, but I'm sure the people I'm sure the people that brought me to the party were probably doing exactly what you were oh, at that time. It
1: was it was it was one of those. It was in like a
2: cheap t- beer and smoke-filled room.
1: As I recall, it was like a 2 o'clock start, and the game ended at about 7.30. It was one of those just all afternoon into evening trying to eat. My mom kept saying, turn around and be with the family, and I'm like trying to watch the game. But, Mom, football's on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a great memory. And so for that very reason, Miami at Kansas City has a small uh, spot in my heart on the Week 16 schedule.
2: I think by the time we get to the – Week 17 edition next week, we are going to pretty much see everything locked up or positions will be established to seal up the postseason. But there's just enough uncertainty to keep that one little young Don Banks eye away from the Christmas Eve supper table and towards football.
1: Remember, kids, you can grow up and host a podcast someday. All right, that's our Christmas show. With Nick Stevens, I'm Don Banks. Thanks to Kevin Collins. Happy holidays to our crack producer. Thanks for listening again. We will be back next week to dive into week 17. But everybody out there in podcast listener land, thank you. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas.
2: for hosting marshmallows, for toasting and out in the snow. there be scary
0: Thank you for downloading the Cover 2 podcast from
2: Patriots.com.
0: Second and goal to go from the two. Toss sweep right for James White. Tucks it under the right arm. Tucks it upfield. Driving forward. Diving to the no! goal line. It's a touchdown it's and a title for the Patriots can't believe it they have completed the greatest comeback in super bowl history log on to patriots.com anytime for more news and more podcasts covering your favorite team and all things nfl